more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. It is February 9th, and you are tuned into 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can mean only one thing. It is time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Daniel Watkins. And I'm Adrian Gallo. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student at OSU and interested in coming on the show, or you want to find out all about the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up-and-coming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and any opinions expressed on the show belong to the hosts and our guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we're joined by Alex Sharabaiko from the Department of Human and Health Sciences. Is that right? I, yeah. I saw it as HHS. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. well welcome. Mm-hmm. So Alex is a second year doctoral student in kinesiology with a psychosocial emphasis. Correct. For the last little while, you've been the teaching assistant for the class Lifetime Fitness for Health. And this is a class that is a required class, which is already a strike against it in a sense. And it's Correct. a class that's yep. taught in a massive <laughs> lecture hall with 500 plus students at a time, yeah. which is also usually a strike. And yet it was voted one of the best of 2020 this year. So why is this class so special and why do you care about it? I know we're so excited that this class has been actually voted to be one of the best um, back core classes by our undergraduate students. Because again, as you mentioned uh, correctly, the students have to take the class. So it's a required class. Um, But I think this class is different than any other because you actually learn about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Um, So it's a class that talks about physical activity, nutrition, and mental health. And um, not a lot of students get to learn these three um, components. So um, Let's say if you're an engineering student, um, you may not want to go to a psychology class or um, physical activity or nutrition class, but this is the last time where our students can actually learn about um, those three components as well as how to maintain a healthy lifestyle um, after they, they leave college. So yeah, I'm very passionate about this class. And this class recently switched a little bit because there was some demand by students that they weren't getting all of the skills that they wanted. Can you briefly mention that? Yeah. um, So originally this class heavily focused on physical activity and and nutrition. We had a small component of mental illness in there, but it was maybe just half a class period. Um, But we noticed at the beginning and at the end of the class when students take it, or the the whole course, let's say beginning and end of the term, 
they have to take uh, or they can take a survey for extra credit where we ask a bunch of questions about how they like the class um, and what they learned from this class. And one of the questions is, what would you like to see more um, in this in this course? And almost second, almost every second answer was, I want to learn about stress management and mental health. So we took that feedback um, or the Dr. Wokel, the director of this um, of this class, um, she she took the feedback and actually added more content, mental health content, into the course, and uh, which has been great because even after we teach after after we teach the mental health portion, we see a lot of students coming um, to us at the end of the class because we usually stay there to communicate or talk to students as well, and we have so many students come in and asking about depression, anxiety, and. We try to be honest with them uh, when when we teach the class. So the the instructors who teach the class they disclose information about themselves, about how they felt at times during their college years, and how um, anxiety or depression was present. And uh, we see a lot of people come forward and and wanting to share their um, stories as well. So you've had experience both on the side of an athlete and on the side of someone trying to understand what makes athletes tick and mm-hmm. what makes people make the decisions they do. Uh, how did you come across the field of sports psychology? Yeah, so um, I've been in sports for almost all my life. Uh, my parents were very supportive of that. And um, since I was about nine years old, I started to do track and field. Um, and I did that until I graduated high school in Germany, because that's where I'm from, and after that, I wanted to take a gap year, because I was not ready for college, and I just wanted to travel a little bit, because I was always happy to, to go and explore new places, and I decided to go to the United States, and I became a nanny, or an au pair, that's the correct term, um, and I lived with a family in Bethesda, Maryland, for a year, and uh, we were watching March Madness one day, and my host mom is a huge Duke fan, so we were watching uh, basketball, and I was just so intrigued and surprised um, about the athletes and how much attention they got, even though those were just college students. And um, I asked her about it, and she, she told me that they all have scholarships, or most of them have scholarships, and uh, I knew that I was not that bad in track and field, so <laughs> I just tried to uh, send out some emails to coaches and uh, ended up in at Kentucky, at Eastern Kentucky University, and um, yeah, did some more track for three more years and uh, was an athlete there. And once I was done with my uh, athletic career, I decided to... Um, pursue a sports psychology or a psychology degree. But I got to go back a little bit because um, I actually first went there to do healthcare management. That was the first thing I was declared already because I thought I knew what I wanted to do. And this is um, Eastern Kentucky, right? right? Okay. That's Eastern Kentucky, correct. Um, and I had to take, again, it's, it was a back core class. I had to take a psychology class and a university class. So they teach you about the university. Um, I'm not sure if Oregon State has one, but um, yeah, so some kind of university class. And they told us that we had to attend a major expo, uh, which I didn't really want to go because again, it's required. And second, um, I already knew what I wanted to do. Um, But I went there 
because um, we had to like check off some boxes and get like some signatures. So I went there and uh, received a pamphlet. So I opened it up and saw sports psychology and that's where the light bulb came. And I knew from that moment, something in my gut told me that that's what I wanted to do. Because um, I was at that time, I took the uh, psychology backcourt class and I was pretty good in that class and I really enjoyed being there. Um, and sports was just all my life. So I combined the two and uh, here I am. Before we get to uh, your kind of next steps in your path here to Oregon State, I want to rewind just a little bit and ask you what you thought of your kind of host family in Bethesda, Bethesda, Maryland, and how they viewed college sports, the psychology of sports, and how you had viewed uh, the sports, you know, back in Germany, which I imagine the sports that would garner a lot of excitement, especially kind of like March Madness level excitement, was usually only, you know, your uh, your your soccer teams or your, your football yeah. teams. Yeah. No, you're right. Um United States, it's a huge sports country. I mean, I guess Germany as well, but to a smaller extent. And obviously soccer is, is huge. Uh, we are very proud of our national soccer team, which did not do really well uh, the, <laughs> last, the last uh, world championship. But um, yeah, we, we like sports as well. But when I, when I came here, it was just on a much bigger scale. And um, again, I was just fascinated by it, fascinated by... Um, how amateur sport, or even even high school, um, where was that? When I was in Florida visiting a friend, um, I couldn't believe that they showed high school football on TV. Um, it's it was just a thing, and a lot of people would watch it. Or even like those Friday Night Lights games, where a whole community comes to support their high school team. It's uh, it's mind blowing, but it's also really fun because I love sports and and I like to watch it as well. Okay, so let's now fast forward to um, this transition that you had of initially doing uh, a health science degree is what you... Or healthcare management. Healthcare management. That was, yeah, my initial thought that before I changed it. Mm -hmm. What exactly about sports psychology made it click with you? Was it just because you were an athlete and because you're interested in psychology or what was it that kind of combined the two into something that you absolutely wanted to do? And like you said, you just knew it in your gut. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, it was just a feeling, I would say. Um, yeah, I just saw those two domains, sport and psychology. And I was like, that's it. That's me. Um, but later, because I thought with, I think what a lot of people think about sports psychology is that, um, oh, you're going to work with athletes. That's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to counsel or, or help athletes try to perform at their best um, and try to help their mental game. But then later on, um, I learned much more that sports psychology is such a huge umbrella and there's so many different um, things that you can study or research um, that I decided to um, not just look at the student athletes but then also at the general public and see how we can how we can help people exercise or live a better life in terms of that. Um, I also went personally through uh, a couple of things while I was at Eastern Kentucky University and competing um, the transition from having a coach in Germany that I knew almost, I want to say all my life, but for many, many years, um, and then coming to, to a new place, a new situation where um, the relationship was not there, um, that also kind of helped me understand or trying to help me to have questions about um, my own motivation, uh, which I later then kind of combined into my thesis. 
um, that I did at EKU. Right. This this idea of studying the motivations that people have seems to be a thread through a lot of your work. And I think it would be interesting to hear what some of the main kinds of motivation are and how that might relate to sports. Okay. I mean, there's a bunch of theories out there, sure. um, motivational theories. Um, but what I looked at is um, a term that is called relational motivation. Um, so when we think about motivation, there are like two different terms and um, that are called intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. So intrinsic is the er internal um, motivation. So you do a sport or you go for a run just purely out of joy um, because you hit the flow moment or because you just want to get out there and not think about anything and it just brings you joy to work out or to run. Um, whereas external motivation is, as it says, in the word external. So you're motivated either by others or by an outside reward, let's say, um, to make money or to uh, win a medal or something like that. Um, but relational motivation looks at, since we have this external in, in, and internal, and usually relationships are viewed as external motivation, um, but relational motivation combines the two and kind of looks at how do relationships help you in pursuing your own goals that you have. Um, and I was interested in looking into that because my uh, advisor back then, Dr. Jonathan Gore, he looked at that uh, relational motivation concept and he applied it to different settings, but he has never applied it to uh, an athletic setting. And since I was interested in um, sports psychology, he let me take this concept and look how relational motivation effect, affected uh, student athletes and their performance. Which arguably that's that's where you would really want to see whether or not the effects are present, like whether or not me being um, motivated by trying to jump further in the long jump is as motivating as me wanting to jump further in the long jump, because then if I jump further, then I get more points for my team, mm -hmm. right? That, so what, what, were, what were some of those findings? Did having that team aspect and building that bond, did that help to improve performance? Yeah, one thing that I hypothesized um, was that we would see relational motivation playing a bigger role in team athletes or team sports athletes rather than individual sports athletes. So let's say um, tennis, track and field are individual sports and sports like football, basketball, softball um, are team sports. But um, it turned out that we didn't find any significant findings between those um, sports. And what we did find is that uh, female athletes tend to benefit from relational motivation or from those relational reasons more so than male athletes, um, which I found interesting. Um, but if you go out and look, let's say you go out into the gym, it kind of makes sense because you can, you can witness or see uh, females to work out with other females more likely than um, men, let's say. So would the Zumba class be a good example of that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, you tend to see females gathering together and work out together, let's say, in a Zumba class. And with male athletes, or not, I don't want to say male athletes, but with men, um, they rather go by themselves or are in front of the mirror and looking at their <laughs> biceps. Uh, 
Yeah, so... Yes, they be... have been to the gym on campus before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it must be really right. interesting for you to go to the gym and try and turn that part of your brain off of like, I'm I'm not a scientist here. I'm trying to get my heart yeah. rate up. No, I <laughs> love people watching. I mean, I guess that's one psychology thing that a lot of psychologists do is just to be outside, out in the field and just observe. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we put a lot of money into athletics, um, into sports performance and... For me, it was just interesting to see how can we increase someone's performance just by um, relational motivation or by motivating someone. And it turns out that for females especially, so if, if you're a coach somewhere and you have female athletes, um, make sure to have an um, environment or create an environment that is, that is team cohesive, um, that builds relationships within the athletes but also with the coach and the athletes because um, then you you will actually see some performance improvement as well. So just to see if I'm understanding it right, uh, would an example of this kind of a relationship be like if I have a, a group of friends that uh, I usually would work out with, some days I might not feel like working out, but I don't want to disappoint my friends by like keeping them from working out, and so I go anyway. Is, is that... This same thing, or is that a very different idea? Just trying to get the right. Yeah, picture. you got to be careful with that because you don't want it to become a controlled reason. So if you just right. go because you don't want to make your friends unhappy and you just go, that right. that's a controlled reason. Okay. Um, to go, but if you go because you have an, an internal motivation to go because you actually want to go and you have other people who support the goal or other people who work towards the goal with you together. Um, that is relational motivation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have an example from this morning. I went for a long bike ride with uh -huh. some friends and the goal for that day was to go explore some trails that we, or roads that we had never been to before. Okay. Um, and it's much easier to explore trails and get lost purposefully when you're not the only one getting lost, right? <laughs> if you're with a group of friends that are like, let's see if this road dead ends. Um, and we did that like four or five times. And if I was by myself, I would have been very angry at myself and just like, oh, I got to go back uphill now. Okay. Oh, shucks. Yeah. Um, but being there with friends, you know, I was like, well, at least the weather's nice and the trees are, are cool and the birds are chirping. So this is okay that we're going the <laughs> wrong way purposefully. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's always good to, um, again, there's, there's just different kinds of concepts, but um, it was just interesting to to look at different sports um, at my university and see how how their relational motivation plays out and if it's even effective or or if athletes even benefit from that. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense as to why the effect was stronger in women than men? Uh, I want to say women are most so social in, in terms of uh, women tend to bond or have stronger relationships. Um, I don't know. I would need to look at it again, but just like just from what you observe or what you can see is just women tend to be more social and value social relationships more so than men. Um, yeah. So maybe that's why. Hmm. So after you finished your bachelor's degree at Eastern Kentucky, you stayed for two master's degrees. I did. Yeah. Uh, so three degrees in, I still haven't seen a degree called sports psychology. Is this pretty common for sports psychologists to have things with maybe a different label, but it really means that you're doing sports psychology? 
Yeah, um, sports psychology is actually growing. Uh, a couple years ago, when I when people asked me what I was doing, and I said sports psychology, a lot of people didn't know what it is, um, or they thought that I would just work with athletes. Um, but it's actually becoming more familiar, and a lot of more uh, professional teams tend to have more sports psychologists on their teams. Um, but yeah, but sports psychology, there there's different ways in order to get where you want. Does that make sense? Um, so a lot of people either get first a sports or a psychology degree and then specialize in, in sports or sports psychology. Um, there are colleges or universities where you go through the College of Education in order to get a degree and then into sports psychology or you go um, exercise science or kinesiology. So that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a PhD in, in kinesiology, um, but it's it's a... And with a concentration in sports psychology or it's called psychosocial kinesiology. So it's a fancy term, but right, maybe you get more grants that way. If you have a fancy, yeah. name. <laughs> that'd be nice. That'd right? be really nice. Yeah, <laughs> I should try. But so how did you come across Oregon state? Mm, good question. Uh, through my advisor, actually, Dr. Brett Cardinal, I, um, cited him in my second master thesis, um, and I actually looked him up because I, I really liked the, the articles that I read and I looked him up and found that he was still at Oregon State and uh, that they offered or had this psychosocial kinesiology program. Um, and it's actually ranked pretty high in the country. And uh, it was, again, a gut feeling. I was like, this is, this is where I want to be. So I emailed him and asked him a bunch of questions and asked him if he would take any students and uh, he said, yeah, he's actually going to take, he has one spot open and he's going to take one student. And he, he actually emailed me because usually you send out to a bunch of advisors at d- different colleges. And sometimes you don't get a response back. Sometimes you have to wait a week. Um, and sometimes you just get a two sentence respond, response back. Um, but Dr. Cardinal, he actually wrote me paragraph after paragraph. And it made me feel like he was even interested in me. Um, so I was like, I like this person and I uh-huh. need to, I need to, I need to be there. I've never been to Oregon before, never been to Oregon state, but I knew I had to be there and I'm so happy that I'm here. For undergraduates listening to the show and interested in grad school in particular, uh, what Alex just described is more or less exactly how searching for advisors goes. Um, send out a lot of emails, some respond back, some long responses, some short um, and then you kind of start, you know, winnowing down who can even accept graduate students because of funding and whatnot. Um, so you hadn't been to Oregon before. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us what you did when you first came to Oregon, because you explored a couple different spots. I did. I love exploring. I love nature. I love the environment. I love to challenge myself and go to new places. Um, the first thing I've did, I've done. I went to the coast for the first time because I was just like, yay, water. Um, I was so excited to see that I only live away. What's it like 50 to an hour, 50 minutes to an hour to the coast? Um, in my mind, I thought, because it was 80 degrees here, I arrived in September, I think it was 80 degrees in Corvallis. I was like, yep, beach day. I'm going to go into the water. It's going to be fun. <laughs> um, got there. And it was like 50 degrees and I was in shorts and the tank top and didn't like really pack for for this weather. And um, yeah, learned really quickly that Pacific Northwest beaches and the water is not the same as, let's say, 
California or Florida or anything like that. Um, so yeah, we went to the beach for the first time, and then I did a couple of waterfalls. Um, we went to later. Then I went to Crater Lake. So it's it's just beautiful. There's still a lot of things that I have to um, cross off my bucket list, but it's such a beautiful state. More waterfalls. More what today? Yeah, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was scared that I didn't today, but I made it. It was beautiful. Well, we have a couple traditions on this show. So our guests, such as yourself, come with lots of accumulated wisdom, and we ask for a little bit of that to be shared. So what advice do you have, and who is this advice geared towards? Oh, wow. Um, no pressure. <laughs> Let me think about it. Well, I'm not sure if that's advice, but I, I think it's geared towards everyone. Um, cause I believe people should go out there and challenge themselves a little bit. Uh, we tend to stay in our comfort zone and not try to explore, or we tend to stay in our little bubble and not try to explore and try to meet new people that we've never seen before that look different from us. Um, not go to maybe places that that are familiar to us so um, I do want to challenge people just to be open-minded be go outside um, out of your comfort zone because there, there's so many things to see the past 10 years I've been traveling so much and I've traveled to places like Kentucky and Oregon that I've never been before and I um, have done a little bit of research but but I've never seen it before and it's been such a great experience um, not just to meet people, let's say the Americans, but also people from all over the world. Um, we all, I've, I've met so many great people from like Saudi Arabia, from, from parts, different parts of Europe, Mexico. Um, and we may look different, we may speak different languages, but we all smile the same. And if you smile at one person, you're going to get a smile back and the other person's going to smile at the other person. You're just going to um, have a good time. And I, I truly believe that we could all be more positive within each other if we would travel more and understand each other more. So, yeah, you don't have to travel far either. There, there are so many great places uh, within, within a state or within a community. I think Oregon State does a really great job in um, hosting those cultural events, which I love to attend because... First of all, there's great food, food always there, um, and I love food, so you got to go. And then um, you meet so many different people that look different, that speak a different language, and, and it's just a great big party. And um, Yeah, so don't stay in your comfort zone, but just go out there and explore. Our second tradition is asking you for a song, but before we get to your song, I can't help myself from your last answer and ask you... Um, Speaking of going outside of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. for such a long time, you identified very much as an athlete when you were at Eastern Kentucky and then transitioned from, you know, the quote unquote student athlete to a student researcher. And now you you are a researcher. So can you like give us a peephole into how you had to change your identity or kind of come to terms with how your identity was shifting through time? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh it's been an interesting transition, actually, because, yeah, for the most 
time of my life, I've, I've was an athlete. Um, in Germany, we don't have the term, really the term student athlete, so you're just like an athlete. Um, and then when I came to, to the United States to, to college here for three years, I was a student athlete. So I, I was introducing myself as, hi, my name is Alex, and I'm a student athlete at Eastern Kentucky University. And um, you are obviously in a special group. Let's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a special group, a unique group. Um, and then once I graduated, and I remember it really vividly, the first day of my uh, graduate school year, I took a class and I had to introduce myself. And all I could say is, hi, my name is Alex. And you're not going to say I'm, I'm a student because everyone else is a student. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was just Alex. And uh, I went home that day and I actually had to walk or pass the track. And uh, I had people or my former teammates were, were still practicing. And it was a, it was really sad. It was really sad not to belong to this group, even though they were still welcoming and told me like, oh, you should come in and practice with us. And, um, and I actually did, I tried, cause I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna stay an athlete and I'm still gonna practice. But if you start practicing without really a goal in your mind, it's, it's, it's really hard. Um, so I try to avoid the track for a couple months as well. Cause I didn't feel like I belonged there anymore. Um, so it was an interesting shift in my identity. Um, luckily, I, I found something that I was passionate about, um, psychology, and I knew that I wanted to be become a sports psychologist. So um, that helped me with my transition, but a lot of athletes who, who've been, um, let's say Olympic athletes, I've done that for years and years, and if they get injured, um, a career-ending injury, let's say, and they have nothing, no, no education and no other background, um, they they fall in this deep hole, and it's 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 a whole nother topic. Uh, athletic transition or athletic identity is a whole nother topic. Uh, when you take a sports psychology class, um, they they talk about it, but it's been it's been an interesting experience. We actually interviewed Winston Kennedy, who's in the yes. kinesiology program, two weeks ago, and uh, he discussed that how one of his turning points was a season-ending injury. Mm-hmm. Um, he will go into it really in depth. Uh, at our Grad Inspire event on March 3rd. I encourage everyone who's listening to attend. It'll be in the MU. Uh, food and beverages provided. Um, but with that, okay, now you brought up another question that I must ask you okay. is, do you have any advice for student athletes who they're in their senior year and they just finished their last season? What helped you kind of get through that transition? Um, advice for athletes? Yeah, I think... Once you know that the career is ending, you should you should always try not to narrow your mind down to your sport, but also keep a mind open um, in terms of how can you use the skills that you learned from your sport into, let's say, another, a different career. Um, so make sure to do that. Try to network. Try to talk to your professors. Don't be always mad at them, um, but actually try to talk to them because they're great. Um, and see, explore different interests other than other than uh, your sport, because I think that helped me too. And I I like I liked to also form relationships with with other students who were not student athletes, who who were just students. Um, yeah, so I would I would do that. Explore explore things beyond your sport, and and try to see how you can apply your skills that you learned 
through being an athlete? Because a lot of companies they're interested in sport or student athletes or athletes, um, because because we do learn a lot of skills through the sport. Okay, now I'm gonna ask you what song you chose and why you chose it. Okay, um, I'm actually gonna do something different. I think I chose a song that has never been played on radio before. Um, I know it's a world premiere, actually, <laughs> which I'm very excited about. So I'm, I'm thankful that you guys let me chose the song. Um, the song is called Heart Logic by Rachel Vick. And um, she is one of my dearest and most talented friends that I have, I think. She uh, came up with a song heart logic and it's it's just a wonderful song because I think it also describes kind of the the journey I went through and um the the story that I told today by exploring different places trying to move to different places trying to make a home out of the the new situation or the new places that I've been and uh trying to live my best life every day so yeah heart logic by Rachel Lake Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you came in a little bit late, you can check out Alex's podcast releasing every Monday. And we're on air every Sunday evening here on 88.7 KBVR-FM.
Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Haman. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening and stay curious, my friends.